Hi, I'm Susan Foch, and when I was 18 years old, I launched a national nonprofit organization out of my freshman college dorm room. Now, with almost a decade of experience under my belt, I'm here to teach you my tried and true tips and tricks for running your own nonprofit or social enterprise and how to build it from the ground up. You're listening to this podcast because you're ready to make a difference in this world. I see you, I hear you, and I'm ready to help you. Now let's make an impact together. You're listening to the Make an Impact Podcast, episode 25. Today we are talking about all things mental health, strong and empowered black women, founding your own nonprofit organization, and working about 12 other jobs in between. Michaela Hewshaw is the founder and still president of the organization How About Hope, which is all about helping people, and particularly youth and minority youth, with mental health struggles that they are having through a lot of the power of storytelling. She currently works as a news reporter in the Davenport, Iowa, Quad Cities area. She was Miss Iowa 2018 and competed at the first ever Miss America 2.0 competition in Atlantic City in 2019. This woman is a force to be reckoned with, (laughs) for sure. Um, She's incredible. She has an amazing story. And I always love getting to sit down with other nonprofit founders and hear their founding story and not just the trials and tribulations they went through in starting an organization like this and how they've kept it running for years, but also, you know, what inspired them to do it, especially at a young age. It's always such a treat and I think very inspirational for other people kind of needing that kick to understand that they can they can do it too, which is why I always love doing that. We have some pretty difficult conversations still within the Black Lives Matter movement with balancing all these other things, and especially mental health, a global pandemic, all of the things. Um, This is definitely a challenging interview and a challenging conversation, but I'm, I'm really honored to have been able to sit down with Michaela to have this and push myself, honestly, in, in a lot of the knowledge that I have about these movements and where we still are at as a country. Um, granted, we did record this pre-election, but um, I don't think that the the content and the wisdom that she has for us has really changed. So without further ado, Michaela, thank you so much for taking some time out of your very busy schedule. I know your your schedule has been nuts lately as a new news reporter. So thank you so much for being here. And would you mind introducing yourself for us and giving us a little philanthropic roadmap to how you became who you are today? I feel like I've worn quite a few hats in my short 23 years of life. I've always come back to this idea of connecting people, um, being a mentor to others, basically sharing any knowledge that I've had over the years with others. And just empowering people to feel like they are important and that their story matters. And that's just kind of in the theme for every hat that I've worn, really. So when I was 15 or 16, I started volunteering with Love Girls magazine. And that taught me a lot about the importance of storytelling and validating other people's stories. And that truly led me to every other place that I've been since then, including starting How About Hope, because I actually had a small grant from a local nonprofit um, to start How About Hope, but it was through Love Girls magazine. Hmm. So 
I went from there to How About Hope and then going on to winning Miss Iowa, which I then carried How About Hope with me into that same space to teach kids how important it is to take care of their mental health and to look out for their friends and what to look for um, and their parents too, because one thing that I found is that a lot of kids felt comfortable sharing their personal stories with me about those in their life that went through both mental health or um, mental health issues or um, had suicide in some shape or form, whether that was losing someone, whether that was knowing someone who had attempted just in whatever fashion that was. So now I am a reporter, kind of landed this job and it's been extremely rewarding even two weeks into it. But once again, coming back to that, connecting that, um, making people feel like their stories matter because I work for a local news station. So I'm always trying to keep stories local and once again, just validating people with whatever it is that they might be going through, whatever event it is that they're throwing. Um, and it's keeping me busy. It definitely is. But uh, I feel like all of this really just helps me come back to how about hope, um, which our mission uh, is just to validate people's feelings so that people know that they're not alone and then to uh, really just educate the community about mental health and suicide. We love those not alone themed missions. So, <laughs> and you've only been a reporter for, as we said, like two weeks as of tomorrow, right? This is a very new hat for you to be wearing. Two weeks as of tomorrow, yes. And I was fortunate enough to have a fellowship over the summer where I did work as a reporter. Um, and it was an investigative fellowship. So we dove deep into juvenile justice in the US system. But Outside of that, yes. <laughs> Two weeks. We're real fresh into this full-time media space. You gave us a little bit of how, so how about Hope started through Love Girls magazine, but what's what's your full founding story with that? Like how, you know, what was that kicker that made you actually go through and found a full nonprofit organization? So after I received that small grant, really it was, I believe, like a $200 or $250 grant. They said, go make a difference in your community. And I said, okay, what is it that is important to me? What is it that I care about? What have I had experiences with? So when I was 17, I was very depressed. And my mom was also depressed. And she was dealing with um, a major back surgery. I really had to grow up very quickly. Um, my dad was in prison at that time as well. So there was just this huge culmination of negativity in my home life. And I felt very out of control. I just wasn't, I felt like I always had to put on this, this face when I was at school and when I was out in the community because everybody looked to me as a role model, they looked to me for advice, but I felt like my entire world was falling apart. And at one point in time, I was suicidal. I felt like I just couldn't handle everything that was going on in my life anymore. I felt like people were better off without me. And I look back at that now, understanding how um, those feelings can really just make you feel worthless. And that's ex exactly how I felt at that point in time. But I was fortunate enough to get help 
And after realizing that I wasn't alone in that, and once I did open up to those that were close to me, I learned that a lot of people deal with either mental health conditions or they suffer from suicidal thoughts or they've lost someone to suicide. And I said, okay, so what have I known about storytelling? I've always known that storytelling can really help someone. I've known that it can validate and empower someone. So I pretty much took that into How About Hope. We did a small sticker campaign and it was, oh, I might have one with me. Not that the listeners can see this, but um, it just said, I have hope because okay. I'm blank. So you fill it in with whatever it is that gives you hope. That was like the first thing that we ever did. Mm, and okay. at that point in time, I think it was 2015. It was just me. I was taking it around on my college campus and sharing it with my friends. And after that, I said, oh, this could really be something. This could really help someone. So I just slowly started using it in my pageantry because that was around the same time that I had first started competing in the Miss America organization. Um, but it was so much more than that. It was never just a pageant platform. It was, it was a lot more than that. And it was in, when I won Miss Iowa, that kind of catapulted me further into this mission because I realized how many people I was able to reach with the mission while I was Miss Iowa. I think I counted up one time I spoke to thousands of people, mm -hmm. um, kids, adults, elderly individuals. Um, I think the oldest person I met was 103 and that was really cool. Um, and it was from there that one of my best friends from high school actually reached out to me and said, hey, I'm, I'm getting a degree in clinical mental health counseling. You should, you know, we should team up. Do you need help with this? And with her help in about 2018, I would say, we sat down and we said, okay, what do we want this to do? How do we want it to grow? And ever since then, um, around like springtime 2018, it's been an actual organization. We host events. We um, really just do anything that we can to bring awareness to our local and state communities, so either Illinois or Iowa. Um, and it just keeps growing. I mean, COVID has been really hard, but that I feel like that's my full founding story is just finding other people that believed in the mission too, other uh, people who had experience with it and others who knew how important it was to talk about these things. Mm -hmm. So this became a full organization right before you came to Iowa then? Yes, but we became a 501c3 in May of last year. So May okay. of 2018. Gotcha. I just out of curiosity, because I had a lot of people ask me this when I wrapped up the last time I ever competed for Miss Wisconsin and people had reached out to me and they're like, oh, so like, are you done with Operation Not Alone now? Is that going to not be a thing? And I was like, nope, always was going to stick around past like my time with Miss America. And I found it really funny how many people thought it would just dissolve after I was done with it. Did you ever hear anything like that? Oh, all the time. Okay. All the time. <laughs> yes. And I feel like that could be the trend if you are someone who competed in pageantry and you really just chose a platform mm -hmm. to compete with. But I feel like for you, for me, for so many of my other Miss America and local sisters, 
I hope that that's not the case. Like I still see so many people advocating using their voices. Um, but yeah, I was like, we went through all of this work. We went through all of that paperwork. We're going to be around for a long time. <laughs> yeah, We're not just throwing it to the wayside. So no. what does How About Hope do now? Pre-COVID. I want to talk about pre-COVID because Go for it. we are still navigating how we can still make a difference in this time. Mm-hmm. Um, things have been really heavy lately, and I'm sure that we'll get a little bit deeper into that too. Yeah. Um, so we want to just figure out how we can best support our community in a virtual space. But before that, one thing that we had launched more recently was a wellness speaker series because Ooh. I think when people think about mental health, it's pretty limited. It's like just mental health. And so you think about counselors, you think about your more formal therapies, but it can be so much more than that when it comes to taking care of yourself. And so we were bringing in people to talk about writing, to talk about moving your body with yoga and different types of exercise. Uh, We were bringing in counselors to talk about some deeper topics. We have a really good relationship with a local LGBTQ um, counseling center. So Mm -hmm. just taking on those different aspects of how you can really take care of yourself. Um, Our other hope is to establish a scholarship because one thing that I know about depression is that it can be extremely debilitating when you're trying to, honestly, even small everyday things can feel so heavy. So thinking about how much stress someone who's dealing with depression or anxiety um, could experience when they're going on to apply for colleges and scholarships Mm -hmm. and those sorts of things. So making scholarships that are specifically geared towards those who have dealt with mental illness or suicide, once again, um, Mm -hmm. in some way in their life, because like it can be a really hard thing to go through. And if you have some sort of even financial support when you're navigating those next steps in higher education, that could be really helpful to someone. Um, Once my friend Simone is certified as a mental health counselor, we do want to do some sort of group therapy sessions as well. Uh, But we wanna make sure that everybody is certified and good to go before we take on something um, that's more so in a treatment space because that's, it's a little bit heavier. And there's a lot more that goes into that than simply just raising awareness to it and just helping people. Um, But yeah, I mean, really all that we've done um, is we're still, I feel like in the foundational periods of our organization, really figuring out what it is that we wanna do, who it is that we wanna cater to. um, And pending COVID, we want to do a minority mental health conference in Mm -hmm. July of 2021, because uh, that is a demographic that we understand really struggles with seeking help for mental health because of cultural reasons Mm -hmm. and stigmas that are attached to being a black or brown person who may have a serious mental illness. So we want to really have that deeper conversation, hopefully in an in-person conference format but you know covid fingers crossed right fingers crossed so i love that idea i think that's amazing i you know i think it's funny because the mental health conversation i think has been happening a lot more 
just even in the last like 10 years, I want to say it's transformed from something that people still were quite hush hush about versus Mm -hmm. a very open dialogue now, but what are still, I mean, there's still a lot of challenges, you know, with mental health with in a variety of ways with having that conversation with people. So how has that, I mean, how has that looked like? What kind of obstacles do you still deal with in the mental health space in the, in the form of like a helping capacity? Mm -hmm. One thing that I've noticed is when it comes to working with other partners in the community, sometimes Mm -hmm. there can be misunderstandings about what a mental health condition is Mm -hmm. and what it is that you're supposed to do to get help. And we have dealt with some individuals who just don't quite get it, or they will say things and you're like, oh, that's, that's a red flag. Maybe Mm -hmm. this isn't something that we should be partnering with you on, if that makes any sense. So really just, I think that comes back to the misunderstanding that if you have a serious mental health condition, you can't function in society. You can't hold a job. You can't have a family. You can't have friends. Uh, You are crazy. You deserve to be locked away somewhere. I feel like those are still some of the underlying tones that I've seen in this work. Um, Luckily, we have been really fortunate to find a lot of um, collaboration and partnership with the local organizations here. And when I was Miss Iowa, I collaborated with multiple organizations on a broader spectrum across Iowa and Illinois. And so there are a lot of people that do get it. There are a lot of people that are working to have open conversations about what it's really like to deal with those things. Because once again, there are those stigmas and those misunderstandings about what it is that people actually experience on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites, um, I don't follow a lot of like Instagram influencer people, but there's this one girl named Mari and I'm going to butcher her last name. So I'm not going to say it, but it's like Mari fitness. And she runs two seven figure companies that she founded both of them. She is 26 years old, lives out of Brooklyn and she has a, uh, she's very open about having borderline personality disorder and like her things with mental health. And so she does that all the time too. She's like, I'm still a functioning person. (laughs) Okay. I've got my issues. I've got my days, but she runs two seven figure companies. Like it is (laughs) as to your point, like it's not something where, you know, you just like crawl into a ball all day and now you can't function anymore. Like you still, (laughs) you got both. Um, what, so what's been your main obstacle either through the founding, literal founding of How About Hope, or just trying to carry out this work and carry out this mission? Cause it is a, it's a very challenging, you know, mission to be taken out in your community. So what's been your biggest obstacle? Making sure that we're also taking care of ourselves in that space too, because I am, (laughs) I'll be honest, I'm not the best at self-care, especially when I'm really, really busy. Mm-hmm. I am a very much yes person. I'll say yes to just about anything. And so one thing that I've really been working on is boundaries. But I preach that to the community, right? And I think it's important to recognize that there are things that I can improve on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would have to say, just listening to really hard things on a regular basis can be hard. And it's also something that I would never want to be desensitized to. And 
I would have to say that that's the hardest part is just, we don't have a, a fun go lucky mission. I mean, it is, it's a very important mission. It's a pretty serious mission though, when you're trying to change a narrative around Mm -hmm. the culture that has been created around mental health, but not saying that we don't have fun, but at the same time, it's, it's not your everyday mission. Mm-hmm. Totally yeah. understand. So from, let's talk about that. You run a small team of like, is it five people that you have with you? I would say there are, oh, how many of us are there? <laughs> I'm at, I was creeping on Instagram, so I was trying to like keep count. There are like four of us. Four of you. Okay. Yeah. So how, yeah, how do you navigate? Because that's, you know, a big part of also wearing the CEO hat is like you have the mission that you're you hold on to that you love and you want to carry that out, but you're also running a team and you have to do all the like administrative, not cute stuff behind the scenes. Yeah. Like the taxes things. Oh yeah. Taxes, paperwork, liability insurance, all the gross things that we don't want to talk about. (laughs) But, but you also, you know, you run a team, you have, you know, and a lot of, to your point, like their kind of mental and emotional health that you're dealing with because you can't you know overwork them (laughs) you know you can't so yeah talk to me about talk to me about your team how do you kind of keep your good camaraderie up and yeah team morale up yeah so we like I said we've kind of been taking a pause with events because of COVID so we haven't been in constant communication like we usually are uh we were going to do a virtual mental health uh first aid training for our team and a couple other organizations that we were collaborating with. Sorry, this is a side tangent. (laughs) Go for it. Um, So yeah, we haven't been in constant communication, but we have still been keeping in touch, figuring out what our next steps are going to be. In all honesty, my board of directors were all people of color. And these past few months have been extremely taxing on our mental health. And so one thing that we've been trying to do is figure out how we can still take care of ourselves, but also support those who are experiencing the exact same thing that we are when it comes to dealing with just systemic racism, um, police brutality, all of that being in our face all the time. Like it's, it's been a really heavy few months. I do have to say that, but one thing I have to say about my team though is that everybody brings something to the table, which is awesome. I have a woman who is already a mental health counselor. She's been practicing for quite a few years. So she kind of comes at us with the the mom, the experience perspective, and I so appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And then um, my friend Simone, she uh, she's also still studying to get that um, to get her master's mm-hmm. in uh, counseling. And she is also always making sure that we are thinking about the communities that are impacted in different ways, also known as you know black and brown communities. So I really appreciate that because she brings in that perspective and makes sure that we're still serving um, the communities that really need it most. And then um, we have one more person who's on our team and he makes sure that we don't spend all of our money. <laughs> because <laughs> important person on the team. <laughs> yes. As you know, there's nonprofits. We, we don't make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I, 
yeah, we just, we just don't. And we also try to make sure that when we do have money, we're using it for things that are bettering those around us. Um, we don't just go and get cute things and, you know, we make sure that everything is being spent in the way that it should. So, um, we keep each other on track. We all bring ideas to the table. Um, like Simone is one that came up with the conference idea because we had been saying we wanted to do a conference, but I know that it's important to have a main focus, especially when you're in the mental health sector of nonprofits too, because you have those national organizations like um, National Alliance for Mental Illness, NAMI, then you have the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Uh, so you have these really big overarching nonprofits, and then you have those more localized ones. And so we wanted to make sure that we were still serving our community in some way that was more unique than just being super broad and overarching. So they have really helped us kind of hone in on what it is that we could really do to make a difference. And I so appreciate them for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about that really quickly, because I think with with NAMI and the National Suicide Prevention Alliance, I think one of the things that stops people from starting nonprofits and businesses in general, because the, the point of a business, right, is to solve a problem and to be doing something. And I think a lot of the things that can stop us when we're in that founding stage is like, well, I want to do this thing. But there are organizations who already do that. And so then you have to like now differentiate yourself and pivot. What, how did that conversation look like in your own head when you're looking at these other bigger umbrellas? Well, I definitely feel like it's something that you kind of figure out as you go along, right? So mm -hmm. I think back to 18-year-old Michaela, who was just like, yeah, let's make a difference. Let's make some stickers and, you know help end the stigma for mental illness. And then the older you get, the more deeper into the research that you get, you truly understand, oh, okay, this is what this organization does. This is the service that they provide. Um, so when I think about, I'll just use those two organizations as an example, since I brought them up. So I think about NAMI, they all have, uh, I believe NAMI has a, a state chapter and or a state like facility in every state don't quote me on that though but <laughs> they provide services they physically provide group services um, counseling and other things to make sure that people are mentally on track think about AFSP they provide prevention they provide trainings they um have bigger things and then they have smaller things that you can take uh like with their oh nami and afsp both have walks where they raise money mm -hmm. for those more local organizations um but it all really comes back to prevention for those two um prevention mm -hmm. or intervention for those two organizations and then i just think about the in-between think about the people who haven't yet come to that understanding that they're not fully okay. Um, I think about the people who aren't nearly as comfortable or open about their struggles and how can we be approachable so then that way we can have a more normalized conversation about these things. And I'm not saying that the national organizations haven't been doing that because they do a really good job of doing that, um, normalizing some of these things. But I just feel like it's more intimidating when you think about a national organization versus if this is someone that, like me, like I have uh, helped people who I went to high school with. It's mm -hmm. more of a familiar face. It's just 
coming at them in a different way, I feel like, than mm-hmm. here's the super established organization, here's how things go here, here, and here. Whereas we have always just said, let's have a conversation. Mm-hmm. How can we help you? What kinds of things would you like to see from us? And um, I didn't mention this earlier, but one of our very first organization events was an open mic night. And I was like, come do poetry, come sing, come dance, whatever it is that you want to do, just come share something. And we had a mix of people who were sharing talents, but then we also had people who were sharing their stories. And Mm -hmm. it was moments like that that are just so candid and so open that I felt like made our organization different. Yeah. Well, and I think that's important too, because sometimes the difference among organizations isn't this big grand thing. It's it's finding a, a more specific niche, you know, so if yours was just helping people find a little bit more of their voices on a local level versus, yeah, like these big, bigger national nonprofits where it's like, you already have to have come to that realization mm-hmm. and then seek out that help. So I think you bridging that gap is um, just as important, but that's why it was necessary for that founding, you know, again, to find your niche. Um, so one thing that I find more interesting, I know that we kind of already talked about sometimes our lack of like self-care and things, but you know, you, this, you know, how about hope is not how you make your money, how you pay your bills. So you, so you have your, your career as a reporter, you just graduated from college a few months ago, like how, you know, talk to me about trying to find that balance. Cause I don't think we ever do find it very well, but like, yeah. How are you, how are you attempting to find that balance? Yeah. Well, first I applaud you for everything that you're still able to do with, you know, a master's and whatever <laughs> else you've been up to. I feel like every time I look up, I'm like, how in the world does Susan make this all work? But it's awesome. <laughs> it's so awesome. And agreed. It's when do you ever actually find a balance? Right. Really? When does that happen? Um, I'm about two weeks into just having a career, mm-hmm. <laughs> not having school, not having, well, I, I still have pageantry things because I'm now a director, but uh, I'm not Miss Iowa anymore. Mm-hmm. So there's just that extra layer that's not there anymore and it's funny that you say that because I just texted my board and I said we should have a meeting soon (laughs) it's been a while yeah um one thing that I have still been trying to do in this very hectic transitional period has been to um, keep our blog up and running get some stories shared there but the balance I'm not sure how we've made this work so far. Uh, All of us are in school outside of the woman that's already a mental health counselor. So Mm -hmm. there have been times where we're like, let's just, let's just relax. Let's just wait on this. One thing that I think we always feel so pressured to do is to rush things and to always have something going on and to always have this, this, and this lined up. And we have to keep reminding ourselves that we're on our own timeline. Mm -hmm. We'll set goals for ourselves, but we also don't have to completely exhaust ourselves just to make something happen. And I think that that's an important conversation that we have on a regular basis with our team, especially if something were to come up with family. We've had that before, too, where we just needed to take a breather. A couple other people had to step up, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think 
I never look at how about hope as work. Mm. So I will in my free time really just work on new ideas, think about ways that we can really further our message, but it doesn't ever feel like another job to me by any Mm. means. Mm. So that balance is really just the fact that I find joy in helping people and I make time for it. I don't know where that time comes from, but I do make time for it. (laughs) But we carve it. I think what's important on that though, that's, and it's like kind of the one fun part about getting to where like the CEO had is that you have that autonomy to be like, you know what, this isn't going to happen today. And that's okay. <laughs> Cause you're not hitting someone else's like deadline or timeline, you know, unless you do start setting an event, like a conference, obviously that you do put a harder date on it, but there are so many things with Ona and even like the small, cause we have a team of five, including me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are times where they will text me because no one, you know, for our organization takes compensation. So everyone else has like different jobs that they're doing. And so they'll text me and they'll be like, Oh, like I, I wanted to get this done. And like this, this, and this happened and like got away from me. And I'm like, it's cool. You rock. I was like, you're trying <laughs> like you're thinking about it I was like that's fun you know like even one of the girls on our team works third shift for crying out loud I'm like you I was like you just get some rest do your thing I'm not gonna sit here you know with like a steel hammer that's like why didn't you do this so I think it's it's one of the fun nice parts of it because we get to have that timeline which I think helps a lot with us chilling and with some burnout. Um, So one other big thing I want to talk to you about, and you've mentioned it kind of already, is another layer to this is the fact that you are a very strong, empowered woman of color running Mm -hmm. this organization, having this voice in the mental health space. Like, can you, and obviously we're in a really heated time of the world right now in this topic, like, talk to me about that. Like what other obstacles has all of this really created for you guys and in this organization? And um, have you found more of a heightened sense of people's mental health being compromised because of everything that's going on? Mm -hmm. Yes. To answer your question. Yes. It's even personally, uh, and this is something I've talked to my board about as well. Like I'd said, we're all people of color. Um, there's only one male on our board, <laughs> Jerome. Shout out to Jerome. Um, but it's been a very interesting and draining time, I have to mm-hmm. say. And it's it's just really hard to navigate something so heavy especially when you hear so many different things about whose whose lives matter and whose don't. Mm. And it turns into something political when it really should just be about basic human rights. Mm. And it's extremely draining uh, just hearing some of the hate and also just the fact that we've dealt with racism our entire lives and now it's just being brought to the forefront. And now it's this really big conversation. And it was a lot of people like, coming to us as people of color asking questions and which is fine to do to a certain extent it just it was a lot I I Mm. guess these last few months have just been a lot and continuously just seeing black and brown people being hurt in the media uh it's it's not something that you want to see on a daily basis but that's exactly what was happening So one thing that we've been trying to focus on is how we can support 
those communities because there are stigmas uh, attached to mental health conditions and suicide when it comes to people who are people of color mm-hmm. and like black men specifically it's it's very hard for black men to open up about their mental health it just because it's not something that our culture has conditioned us to do it's just mm-hmm. a societal thing that we've never really sat around and dealt with and same for black women black women are always viewed as these strong and individuals and they just have to be so strong all the time and they're always taking on so many things and then you have to sit with this just this hatred that keeps coming up in the media so you know it's 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 a lot like I said and it's something that we wanted to make sure that we put a focus on because everybody deserves to have good mental health Mm-hmm. Everyone deserves to have access to counselors and therapies uh, in medication, whatever it is that they may need at that time to feel okay. But it's it really comes down to changing a narrative within our own people groups. And so that's something that we've really been sitting with and trying to figure out how we can best support those in those communities. Yeah. So one thing you said that kind of, I don't want to say surprised me, but stood out to me was um, as black women, the idea that like you are the, <laughs> I, I just did it to you when I inter- like started this question was you're like a strong, empowered woman, like the strong, independent, like all these things. Like, do you, is there a narrative among black women that has to have this like game face on all the time? You know, I've heard other black women in my life who hold leadership positions say that uh, trying to think of the best way to phrase this it's like black women are viewed as tools sometimes Mm -hmm. in the community and black boys are cute until they're older and black men are feared and black girls are invisible and I was just like Okay. (laughs) So I sat with that for a little bit and that was a lot to process, but it's true. I feel like black women really do carry a lot of things for their family, for their community, for their leadership positions, because especially if you think about if you're the only black woman in the room somewhere, you kind of feel like, and I felt like this before too, and you feel like you are now the spokesperson for an entire community. Uh, But you're always worried because you have that intersectionality of being a woman Mm -hmm. on top of being a black woman. And it's like this double-edged sword of always walking on eggshells, not feeling like you can be angry about something without being called the angry black woman and being stereotyped as that. And uh, yeah, there are just, there are just a lot of things and a lot of layers when it comes down to having those two identities and just Mm -hmm. where those intersect. Yeah, that has that does have to be an extra layer because I think women in general, like we always get that where it's like, oh, well, if you have any type of reaction, it's like now either you're too emotional or you're irrational right. and you're like doing whatever. And then it just is that extra level when it's because you can't just be like the crazy woman. <laughs> like in the, now it's the crazy like black it's the woman. the crazy black woman. Interesting. Exactly. Very mm-hmm. interesting. Do you find it even harder also being in Iowa, which is not a super diverse area like yeah I I do I can't remember what percent of Mm -hmm. the population that we are and I'm biracial too but I Mm -hmm. always say 
if I'm walking into a store, there's no person that's going to look at me and say, that's a white woman. There's, there's nothing. That's just not the case. My mom always says that the only reason <laughs> that I have a lighter skin tone is because of her. <laughs> okay. So that was the only thing that she passed on to me. Um, that's also been an interesting conversation to navigate as uh, being a biracial person, but we could talk about that a different day. Um, okay. Yeah, I was not very diverse, but I feel like being Miss Iowa really opened me up to how kind the people in Iowa can truly be. Not saying that we don't have racism and prejudice because we do. Uh, And there's also quite a bit of ignorance and privilege because some people just have never dealt with instances or situations that I have or that my family members have, Uh, you know, feeling like they've been discriminated against or, just had it harder because of who they are as a person. There are just some people that can't relate to that, but I feel like you find that everywhere. You really do. Um, I've always lived in the more metropolitan parts of Iowa, and uh, that has allowed me to have more people of color around me, but um, traveling the state of Iowa as a person of color representing the state uh, was interesting to say the least. There were plenty of times where I was the only person of color in the room, uh, but I, I had very positive experiences outside of times where someone would say that I was a wonderful role model to not just girls, but black girls. There were quite mm-hmm. a few times where I would get that. It's like, oh, you're such a wonderful representative for black girls instead of all girls not that i'm not proud of that because it's really important to show little girls of color that you know their beauty is valued too so that's not what i'm saying but there were some times where i felt like it was more so (laughs) a comment where it's like you're a credit to your race which Mm. was kind of problematic but yeah yeah because a long-winded answer but (laughs) yeah no that's fine but i i think it's important too because obviously like i can't can't speak from that perspective but I think it's also the idea of I'm sure that you were an incredible role model for for young girls of color but also I think it's just as just as important that all girls do see you so that it's they don't get one segmented view of mm-hmm. a leader a business owner a Miss America you know what I mean like it's important for them to see that it could be you could look like anything <laughs> you know and and have and get more comfortable in like a diverse uh, I feel like I'm not saying this correctly, but you get what I mean. Like I do. I absolutely. Yeah. It's important you. for everyone to see that you don't have to be like a, a blonde, like, you know, white girl to witness America. Like I think all of those, like, it's important that everyone sees mm-hmm. those people in that role. I didn't say any of that eloquently, but you get where I was going with that. I, I get exactly what you're saying. It's sometimes <laughs> it's not how you say it, but it's like what you meant when you said yeah. it. So. Yeah. But anyway, this, yeah, that's super, a lot of things that you just said are were very interesting perspectives that I'm like sitting on myself. Running a business, working your nonprofit, or just simply making an impact takes a lot of energy, which means you need the drink of champions, coffee. Specifically, you need Door County Coffee, a gourmet coffee roastery on a mission to bring you the best coffee on the planet. And that isn't hard when they only roast the top 2% of Arabica beans grown in the entire world. 
Try any of their medium or dark roasts, like my personal favorite, the Heroes Blend. Or you can try one of their almost 100 delicious flavors like Highlander Grog, Frosted Cinnamon Buns, or Vanilla Creme Brulee. They ship all across the country, so try your first pot today by going to DoorCountyCoffee.com and using the code IMPACT for 15% off your order. That's I-M-P-A-C-T for 15% off at DoorCountyCoffee.com. And get caffeinated today. Anyway, okay. I don't even know where we were, where we stopped. Um, we were talking about diversity, and yeah. this is where we landed. So <laughs> we went on such a side tangent. Um, but anyway, so let me just wrap it. Let's wrap up with two things. One, yeah. I want to ask you, um, it, what other last points do you have that you kind of want to talk about in the diversity, um, equity and inclusion space, especially as it relates to nonprofits, mental health, um, and just anyone that's in like a general helping field. Do you have any kind of like last, less nuggets of wisdom for us? It's totally okay if an organization, and not saying that ours is this organization, but it's totally okay if there is an organization that is created specifically for minority groups. That's okay. There are plenty of times where I will hear people say, well, what about this group? Why are you not serving this group? And not not to me, but just... Um, I think about there's an organization called, uh, I think, like Black Men Heal. And I know that they've gotten backlash about not saying like all men heal, right? Mm -hmm. But I think it's really important to name specific issues that are happening within minority communities. Like uh, I think about Native Americans and the increased use of specifically on reservations. I think about the increased use of alcohol and drugs. Uh, that's that's something that people need to talk about. There are specific coalitions for Native Americans who deal with addiction that live on reservations. It's okay to have specific targeted organizations and missions. Uh, not everything has to be for everyone. I think that's a really important point to make about that. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it minimum, it just goes back to what we said earlier, where everyone also has to have a niche that they're serving because otherwise, because you can't serve all people for all things all the time, mm -hmm. just, not even in a race conversation, but you can't, like, you have to, to narrow it down so that you're also serving a certain demographic your best to the best of your ability. So I think that's a really important note that you just said, because we do that for everything else. <laughs> Why not there too? You know, we do. Yeah. Um, and then our last question, which we like to wrap all of our interviews up with is uh, how do you strive to make an impact in your day-to-day -day life? This is one of those pageant questions <laughs> that you're like, <laughs> I think just by being myself, being authentic and being willing to have hard conversations on a daily basis, that's how you can make a continuous impact. And I'm really fortunate to be able to do that in my new position, as well as a reporter too, because it helps me bring stories to the table that may not be told otherwise. I actually recently just pitched a series idea to my news station um, for September, with September being Suicide Awareness Month. I think it's Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month, actually. 
And they were all on board for it. They are really excited to tell some hard stories. And I think it's moments like that. Like that's how I strive to make an impact is by always thinking about things that maybe others aren't thinking about. So I'm hoping that that takes me far. And really more than that, I'm just hoping that that allows me to help other people. Um, Like I said, at the beginning of the episode, feel empowered, feel like their stories matter and to have their voices be heard. Oh, I love that. That's so good. Michaela, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you have a crazy busy schedule. So thank you for taking the time to come do this interview with me. Um, I really appreciate it. And I think it's going to be a really valuable conversation that's going to be had for our audience. So thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Make an Impact podcast. If you enjoyed yourself, would you do a little rate, review, subscribe dance? And if you really enjoyed yourself, would you share this on social media so someone else could catch the impact bug? Until next time, friend, I can't wait to see what kind of impact you make on your world.